0: Hey folks, sorry about that, I had a uh, technical glitch to where I had to restart the stream. Give me a thumbs up or type out something, can you guys hear me and see me okay? Is the video and audio working? Yeah, it's just a couple minutes after 7, so it's not going to be too bad. Hope everybody's had a good week. It's been raining like crazy here. We're gonna give people time to show up. um If you guys want, go and self get yourself a beverage. I am going to be starting out with a couple shots of uh, of uh, Sigma Seven and adding some Pepsi to it. It's seven o'clock. It's time for an adult beverage. get a drink here oh that's so good whoa that's so good all right well we've been doing a lot here for the last few weeks so we're gonna keep the train rolling Uh, We just recently had our uh, Oak Leaves 4, which we discussed, Do You Believe in Magic, which it is up on YouTube, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here uh, towards the end of the class. And uh, also, uh, before we get things started, I put up a uh, post online for uh, Sunday, June 21st, which is Mean Sava, which is... The uh, Irish uh, summer solstice and we are going to get together here on the channel on Facebook at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time here in the United States. I don't know if you're around the world, but it's 3 p.m. Central Standard Time here in the United States and we are going to do some uh, poetry. Meditation um, and some other things in honor of the longest day. Um, the highest point of the year for magic uh, and all that good stuff. So it's, I really love midsummer. The only thing I don't like is I can't do Ritual because my apartment, the AC sucks so bad. And when I go full Druid robes and everything, it becomes so hot that I almost want to pass out. So we're going to do things a little bit different because, yeah, even with AC, it's just unbearable in here. So we'll have to do some different things. And... Uh, yeah, we're getting people coming in. Appreciate you guys. I hope I hope you guys can hear me. I had to shut the stream down just a little bit ago. And tonight's class, where this is Druid School Class Ten, and tonight we're going to talk about Irish Celtic Animism. And so yeah, we've got a lot, and we've got a lot more classes coming up. We've got more uh, oak leaves discussions coming up. And we've got the newest uh first installment of the Lore Keepers course put up on uh YouTube just a few, just a couple days ago actually. So things are moving right along and everything. So huh, it's it's good to be busy considering the situation that we're in with the pandemic. We're kind of opening up here in Missouri, but excuse me, it's just like it's still not, everything's still not the way it should be. So that gives you plenty of time to do things whenever you just can't do a whole lot of other stuff. So I'm glad you guys are here. We're slowly inching up, people showing up. So what we're going to do before we kind of get started on talking about things is we're going to do what we normally do. I'm going to take a drink. And we are going to get ourselves situated relax in our chairs we're going to close our eyes and we're going to take three deep breaths and we are going to chant the Ah, awen Ah. May the blessings of body, mind, and spirit be yours. All right. Wow, we're starting to get a good number of people in here. Welcome tonight. And uh, kind of keeping things on a sequential status here for the classes and stuff. Um, You know, we've been dealing a lot of things with, you know, what Druidry is, what the various uh, points and grades and stations and things are within Druidic beliefs and different things like that um and and now and we talked about magic but now we need to look at some of the things that kind of formed the beliefs systems of the ancient celts and spe- specifically the irish celts as they came into ireland and s- started to bring all these ideas together that they had whenever they talked about the tuatha de danann and the gods And this ancestors and the spirits of place and all this there's a reason behind that and the idea behind the the thought of animism animism is the idea that uh, the earth as a living being uh, with everything on it is the, the the vehicle for formation of spiritual the formation for spirituality and what a specific group can and and does believe out now outside of the gods and things that's something that kinda comes in a little bit later on but as an example uh in animism as far as uh, mankind period we go back to as far as the cave uh, um, people and one of the things that the cave people did was as an example they needed food they would say, well, we need to hunt, and that's the one thing, but the, the, the animistic side of things lasted for um, a long time in, in, a, in a sense of being a majority type thing, up until we became an agrarian, uh, agrarian society, meaning that for as long as the cavemen were hunter-gatherers, You know, other than the idea that they hunted and then they gathered berries and other edible roots and things that allowed them to survive and move into further areas of development. There was, there was the idea that the earth itself was alive, okay, and that the earth was a being that was like a god. It's not just the idea that there were the gods, that the earth itself was a god, and there are things that need to be appeased like the volcanoes and the mountains and the rivers and the oceans. They were all given their own lives. Hello, Erin. Hope you're not working too hard. I know that you can't participate, but thanks for coming in and checking out class tonight. I appreciate that. Erin is an awesome person. I'm glad to have her whenever she comes around. Um, so we're going over uh, lurking. I like that. I'm always lurking somewhere, so I appreciate it. Um, So we look at it that way, and the idea, like, you see the uh, murals of uh, hunter-gathering tribes with uh, their their spears raised, dancing around the fire, and what they're doing is they are psyching themselves up, they are taking in the energy, and they're saying, all right, we're going to go out, and we're going to hunt, and we're going to go and find this beast and we're gonna kill this beast, and we're gonna bring this beast home, and it's gonna feed our tribe. And basically, this is the first, the first workings of sympathetic magic. And this is also where you would see the uh, the, the leader of the, of the clan of the tribe dressed in an animal skin, whether, you know, whatever it was that they were hunting, what they were hunting deer or bear or whatever. And that was that way, their way of representation of the animal or creature that they were hunting. So that was the sympathetic part. That was the part where they were trying to, to distinguish what it was that they were hunting. So now we go from cave people times and we move it forward to the movement of the Keltoi across the uh, the European landmass, going from the east to the west. And when they came to the western side, it ended up starting to take over Uh, Gulf, France, Spain, Wales, Scotland, uh, uh, Britain proper, and Ireland, uh, they had developed these animistic tendencies, and uh, there were, and to to say one thing, it's like, okay, one thing that I believe, uh, you know, because of the fact that we know that um, Celtic society was kind of a a caste-based society. Uh, in, in a vein of almost the same as being like uh, Indian uh, you know the Indian the Brahmin and that kind of thing is the idea that I personally believe some people say that you know the, the the Celts only had within them they had druids. okay fine that's cool but for me what I see with a lot of information and things and just looking at how society works I believe that even within those caste systems you had different things working on different levels. As an example, you had the Druids, you had the Bards, you had the Ovate Seers, you had those. Those were the ones that were in the higher echelon of society. Then you moved downwards into the tribes themselves, those that weren't on the upper echelon and the people that were underneath, the ones that the Druids and the High Kings and the clan leaders taught and took care of and that kind of thing inside of that society whenever you couldn't necessarily have uh, whenever you couldn't necessarily have the attention of those various denominations of Bardo Victor and stuff taking care of you we had the witches the witches were the women the wise women the cunning women the midwives birthing a baby midwives now we think it's you know it's just so much But back then birth was magic birth is magic so that was another part of animism because they saw they learned uh through raising their own animals seeing animals born in the wild and how they did it the human women were able to you know see what nature had brought around them and it gave them abilities to you know help other women but conceive and have their babies and there was times as we started to move into a more uh, Christianized world where that that line was blurred between pagan practice and moving into the monotheistic uh, tracks of Protestantism and Catholicism there were times that it was thought that midwives were witches by the Catholic Church and that they would outlaw the practices of midwifery in various places because they said that uh, only God can help a woman uh, have her baby and stuff like that. But you need someone there. It's not just, you know, God just can't sit there and just watch a woman in her, in her hut, you know, having a baby without any help. It doesn't work like that. You have to have a human. So the witches knew how to do that kind of thing. They were the cunning women. They knew where the herbs grew and these other things that maybe some of the seers and stuff had told them where they were. So they were an integral part. And then you have the the uh, the shamanistic side, the shamans. I believe that they were that there were people, men and women within Celtic society that were shamanistic. Um, They were the ones that maybe weren't necessarily fully groomed to be part of the various druidic sects uh, within, you know, the tribes and things like that, meaning, in other words, you know, they knew magical arts, they knew how to journey to the other world. They knew these things, but they weren't specifically brought up into those higher echelons of society. Okay, they were the lower end of things, but I think. With that, with them being there, they are the ones that I think helped keep Celtic society, Irish society, moving forward because there's only so much what a small group of upper echelon people can do for those underneath them in their charge because they can't be in in many places at once. But when you have these wise women, these witches and these shamans in the tribes and clans and things like that, these are the ones that take up the slack, and whenever you you read various, uh, whenever you read various stories that talk about uh, druids wearing feathered cloaks and things like that, that is a form of sympathetic magic, where you are giving yourself that raiment to kind of bond with the creature whatever it is if it's a raven or whatever and we're going to talk about the animals that are tied to the gods we're going to talk about the myths of the of the animals and plants and various things that are tied to the animistic side of of celtic spirituality and some of the things that go with it but um i think one of the things that is very important for a druid of any ilk any station is to take the time to study those those things that are not necessarily up into the higher echelon things of what a Druid might study magically or otherwise. So in other words, I believe that uh, Druids should study Celtic shamanism because there are things, there are practices, there are beliefs, there are systems, there are magics that go deeper than what we can just being relegated to you know, I'm the druid in the white robe, standing under the tree, cutting the mistletoe and doing that. There's more there's more to life than just that. Um, and I think one of the big things, one of the biggest things that animism taught the Celts, taught the Irish as they were, you know, growing and propagating on the island itself is the idea to observe. They they had to they had to learn about the areas that they lived in, they had to learn about the animals and the beasts and the fish and the fowl and the things that, you know, were in the areas that they lived. And that's the thing, you know, for us, we see, you know, we would, we would see that what we're, what we would do if we went to Ireland and did that now, it wouldn't be, it would be animism, but it would be more of like a zoological observation thing. But back then, because of the fact that. You know society wasn't as advanced as we are now quote unquote advanced i think very many things we're pretty best backwards but just saying that so they had to observe and there were there there were phenomenon that they understood the phenomenon they didn't another form of aminism anim- animism is the idea that they saw the 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 workings of nature as magical As an example, rainstorms, lightning, thunder, they thought that that was the the anger of the gods uh, for certain things. Other things, it's like uh, later on, specifically, whenever they were becoming more agrarian and, you know, taking care of herd animals and growing as much as they could. You know, Ireland, the soil was so rocky and things like that. So there were times that, hey, thanks for the thumbs up. I really appreciate it. Um, there were times that they couldn't, you know, they couldn't mesh what society was and what, you know, what was uh, not magical. So when you're living in a society where you're hanging on by the skin of your teeth, um, you're trying to learn ways to be able to feed your people better and to let your society expand, then it it kind of became hard uh, for them. You know, it's like later on in the years of Ireland's existence, we have the example of the potato famine. 1.5 million people left Ireland and came to America because the potato crop failed. And that is so sad, but you have to look at, they were living on a rock. There's very very little that actually grows properly on uh, the, the Ireland mass itself. I mean, you know, uh, one of the things that Druids are known for is our love of oaks. Oaks are found, certain oaks are found on, on the Irish island. It's Irish island itself, but in reality, not very many uh, uh, oaks grow on the island because it's hard. It's a very harsh environment and things. So the ones that do grow, they're very hardy, but the uh, the trees that are more prevalent are the oak, the ash, the thorn, the yew, the birch, um, all these other trees, because they're they're either a vine, gorse, these different things, because they are more hardy and they can you know stick to they 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 can handle the atmosphere, they can handle what the island is because of the fact that that's what they are adapted to, and all of the animals that are on the Irish island itself have great spiritual significance because what we think they're just an animal, but that's the thing that is the basis behind paganism. It's the idea that humans aren't the only thing that matters here on this planet. Animals, plants, everything, rocks, the whole world itself is what matters to us. And this is where they were starting to develop their culture and their ways of of thought about human existence by watching the life cycles of various animals and things, and they would imbue them with stories, with songs, with magical practices that they worked through as a means of showing the connection that they had to nature. That's the main thing, the reason why we're, we're Pagan, is not to stand around a circle and do magic all the all of our life it's to make connections to the earth to each other to the ancestors to the universe and to move forward and the way that we do that is we have to understand the environment in which we live so that's why animism tends to be observational okay then it becomes literal in the practices and things that they did and we're going to talk about that um as an example, uh, we're going to go uh, through the gods, and we're going to talk about some of the animals that are uh, connected to them and some of the, the things that are connected to Irish philosophies and stuff that may not have a direct connection to the gods so that you can see. And, you know, there are things that are not even animal that have connections that uh, are animistic, as an example. um Oh, let's see where it would be the first part. The first place that we'll start with this is the idea of um, the hare. Well, let me bring something up here first. I've got something right here. Okay, first off, we're pagan. And what's the one thing that we hear the most whenever people talk to us? We always get this line, that St. Patrick chased the snakes out of Ireland okay in actuality there are very few if any snake species on the island itself um it's just it's hard for them to live there it's not a place where that snakes can live but in the vernacular snakes were how was the bible lucifer was considered the snake that tempted adam and eve to eat the fruit so anything that the church deemed evil was given the uh, the acronym of being a snake. Okay, so the pagans that he supposedly drove out, um, basically they didn't drive anything out. What they did was they overlaid themselves right on top of what the pagans were doing there in Ireland. So in other words, at Kildare, when the 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 uh, Pagan people were lighting candle or, you know, lighting fire bell fires and candles and things to Bridget. They said, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to patronize her. We're going to make her a saint. She's going to become St. Bridget, and we're going to have a temple or, or a a Catholic monastery or whatever it is that they put there as a um, kind of a, a, a tribute to what the pagans were doing. And what they were trying to do was to assimilate them without without it hurting too much so in other words the more catholicized that or whatever that they could do to make paganism seem a they were soothing their own conscience because if they would have done what they had done during the crusades and the inquisition and things like that they would have just come over and just slaughtered everybody because in those times uh, they believe that everything that wasn't Christian was satanic, was from Satan. So uh, the idea of the, of the Celtic people, the Irish people, uh, worshiping the goddess Bridget, Breed, they go, well, you know, we've got to keep them under, under wraps, under control. So what we're going to do is we're going to, um, uh, you know, just kind of keep them under our thumb. Okay, so. They changed all these things. They started uh, uh, going to holy wells and things like that. That's another thing. We're gonna talk about some of the non, after we go through the animal section, we're gonna go into some of the non-animalistic uh, points of animism within Ireland. But so that was the first thing right out the bat. We were made out to be snakes, okay? So the idea of snakes in Celtic mythology is the snake has long been associated with wisdom, cunning, and reincarnation. Um, the only place that you can really find uh, more more uh, concentrations of snakes are... Um, uh, there are poisonous snakes on Britain itself and certain spots of Wales and Scotland, but you really have to look. And these ones are pretty damn dangerous. Um... Next, we have some of the more unassuming uh, types of animals that that people uh, know about. Next, we're going to talk about the badger. And the one thing is like another thing that I think is important with this. um, (laughs) Aaron says, snakes rule. I'm really not a fan. I've never been a fan. When people want to hand me a snake at a party or something like that for me to pet it, I'm like, I'll pet its head for two seconds and I'll go, okay, I'm done. I'm just not a snake fan, never have been, um, not even really a reptile fan. I'm warm-blooded, they're cold-blooded, it just doesn't make sense to me. I will never hurt them if I'm out and about and I see snakes hither and yon. I'll be like, if I, because I know what a lot of snakes are. Living in Missouri, I know what rattlers, I know what mouse, I know garden snakes, black snakes, king snakes, corn snakes, so many different kinds of snakes. I know which ones to stay away from. And you better believe out here in you know our neck of the woods, the two that I look for the most are baby cotton or baby copperheads, because the babies are usually more venomous than the adults. And uh, <laughs> well, I mean some people do, and then the other one, of course, is when you're out there and you're you're walking through the forests and various parts around our Green County and stuff. Well, you know, Aaron, it's like there's places not too far even inside or even just a smidge outside of Springfield, there are rattlesnakes and there had been people that had been bitten and have come out pretty bad from it that ended up at Cox or one of the other major hospitals. So it's like people, whenever you're out and about in nature in your various areas, don't put the snooze sign on being observant because if you kind of get lazy and lackadaisical about, your surroundings, when you're walking out in certain types of nature areas, you're going to get yourself hurt a lot of times, especially the ones that scare me the most uh, because they can bite you so quick and then they're just gone because they're so fast, are the baby copperheads. And sometimes you'll come up on them when there's three or four of them together, clumped up in a spot. And if, uh, oh, and I hate water moccasins. I'll tell you a deal about that here in just a second um so whenever three or four of them bite you at once if it doesn't kill you it'll make you wish you're dead because their venom is that that potent um the other thing talking about water moccasin there is a uh a trestle bridge not too far outside of springfield that years ago whenever i very first came to uh town and started to run with the coven that i had become initiated in here in town we went out to that and Some of these places out there are dark, just super dark. And the only way you're going to see anything, if somebody has their headlights from the car, you know, pointed over in a direction, uh, uh, you know, so it's very, it's the, the, the vision is very hard. And one of these train trestles that's not too far from town here is over a fairly good sized little river. It's not the James River, but it is one that kind of meanders and goes close to it. It's a whole different thing. Matter of fact, it's out west of town. It, but it does kind of run closely to where the James River is. And it's deep. And we were out there, and we'd been to this place, and we'd been drinking. And we got up on the little support of the trestle. And it's this, like, six-foot part of concrete that sticks out. So you've got the big, the, the big concrete slab that holds up the train tracks. And then the little trestle part, and it goes back. And basically all you can see is inky black water. And uh, I don't know who all was there. There were some girls and just everybody. And there's various people that were, some were drunk, some were not drunk. Luckily, I was not drunk. I do not recommend jumping into a river off of a railroad trestle when you're drunk. Just don't do it. But you can't see what's in the water And you just know that the water's moving. It wasn't moving fast, but it wasn't moving slow. So I figured once I jump in and come back to the top, I can swim over to this one bank. And it looked like there were spots where you could get up without getting torn up by the trees and everything. So that's why we went ahead and did it. We knew that, you know, if we swam to the right spots, we could get out of there. And um, so me and this friend of mine, me and her, were holding hands. And I said, all right we're gonna jump at the same time and she goes okay and she did jump with me by the way but when we jumped we jumped and you go so far down so far down and then we splashed okay and she got kind of moved off to the side because you know your body does this little flip out thing and she's starting to move on to the opposite side of the river and where I am I'm still going straight down well I felt something as my feet started to push further down into the water And no, I did not hit the bottom, so that tells you how deep that river was. And I felt something extremely just ropey all around me. And I couldn't see hardly anything because even with the headlights up through the river, you know, that brown water, you can't see. And it was like, I don't know, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. So it was just dark. But I knew to go straight up. But while I'm going up, I'm doing this, and I'm moving things aside. Long story short... The part where I jumped off that bridge, I landed in a mating ball of cotton mouse, And I got out of the water, I was freaking out, and I'll never do that again. Because that's how snakes, water snakes mate. They get in a giant mass of a ball, they do what they do, and then they disperse, and then they they go and the females will lay their eggs and whatever. So that was very, very scary. Um, I didn't crack my pants, but I came damn close to it. People, <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's funny in hindsight, but I did scare myself. So that's another reason why I'm definitely not a fan of snakes. Plus, I've seen some of the more dangerous ones, like king cobras and stuff like that. And they scare the piss out of me. Anything that can, you know, anything that has enough venom that'll go on the top of my, my pinky finger. And that can kill 10 men. Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm just not a fan of snakes. I'll let them exist. But as far as just professing an undying love for the snake people, I'll work ritual for snakes, you know, whatever. But as far as me, you know, loving them to the point of wanting to own one or, or have one in a cage or anything like that. No, the only place I want to see snakes is when I go to the zoo. And I don't even really want to see them at the zoo because so many of our zoos nowadays suck and they kill so many of the animals. I think the only time that they should be in zoos is to help them nurse the ones that get hurt back to health and then take them back to their uh, areas where they come from and make them be able to assimilate better back into the wild. Because that's why we have so many species that are going extinct is because... We take so many of them in, but we don't put enough back. And it's like, look at all the pandas that that they're trying to make to make more. All they're doing is making more pandas to keep in zoos. We don't want more pandas to keep in zoos. We want more pandas so they can be in the wilds of China and Japan and, and Korea and all these places that pandas and other similar animals exist. I hate zoos. I mean, I think they're a scam. I think they're a ripoff, and that they should serve a humanitarian purpose. Water parks where you've got Shamu and these other whales. Do you realize that these whales go in circles for 50 years? That would drive me nuts. I would have a serious nervous breakdown. They've got places in Nepal, India, white tigers that they go outside of their enclosure onto this concrete slab. And this one has been there for like 14 years and it has worn a groove and its thing, and it's just in a circle because that's all he can do. Do you think that's fair to that animal? That animal deserves a beautiful existence where he can go out and hunt, and he's either gonna hunt and live, or he's gonna come across something bigger and stronger and more powerful. That's what's called the circle of life. That's called survival of the fittest. It's called the way that this, the, the, the Earth cycle is creatures and critters and people exist for as long as they can the best they can and when you start messing up that formula it's not fair so now we're going to get into some of some more of the animals so we've talked about the snakes then we have uh the badger (laughs) badgers are funny and the thing about badgers is is that they are unyielding in the face of danger and they are uh noted for their tenacity and courage if you look at some of the gods and their 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 traits, the things that make them who they are, whenever you think of tenacity and the courage of a god, whether it's through a battle or what have you, and the other thing is these the, the, the traits of these animals also were not just uh you know attributed to the gods themselves. Whenever a warrior or warrioress or somebody within a clan or a tribe Whenever they did something that was uh, pretty much respected and glorified by the tribes and stuff, these traits could be passed on to the people. So, in other words, if you were tenacious as a badger, you might have a badger on your shield. Who knows? That is something that pertains to you. You know, it's not everything. Everything that is animistic ties to us, not just to the gods. So... That's another thing. It's like you kind of think that also whenever you're preparing to go out for a battle, if you're preparing to go out on a hunt, if you're if you're getting ready to go out on a expedition to explore an area that you've never been to, these traits of these various animals are um, important to have. But the other thing is there's an interchangeability, if you notice. What did I just say about the badger? The badger is unyielding in the face of danger and is noted for its tenacity and courage. It's a back and forth thing. People can be unyielding and tenacious and have courage. So we are taking that animism and giving the animistic side and giving human traits and and, and ability uh, types to animals that are, uh, you know, ...that are animals. As an example, when it says that he can run like a gazelle, you know, he may not have four legs and, you know, have the body structure of a gazelle, but what that statement is, is that that person, that man or woman, can run with the grace and speed of a gazelle. That right there is another form of animistic thought. Okay? So... The one thing that is important to realize is that these are interchangeable. They go back and forth. They're not just stuck in one uh, realm of existence. Holy crap, we've got almost 70 people here. That is so cool. Um, thank you guys for coming and hanging out tonight. We've got more stuff coming, so I'll tell you about that at the end, but it's always so cool to see so many people with me whenever we do class. So right there, this, the, the Badger is something that is very important. in. Celtic uh, uh, animistic uh, thought. Next, we have the bat. The bats um, are associated with the underworld. As the bat's radar helps it to avoid obstacles and barriers, uh, knowing that th- that you know a bat cannot see, but yet it can fly through the night with ease because it uses echolocation um to you know to avoid obstacles and things like that also bats were considered uh um very mystical because of the fact of their connection to the other world the underworld so it was like bats were specific more specifically magical than a lot of other uh, animals also unfortunately on the other side of that vein it's not just the fact that what the celts thought of the bats but even in antiquity, bats were given a bad rap. What do you think of whenever you see bats? You think of Ozzy Osbourne biting the head off a bat. You think of bats flying around a witch as she stirs her cauldron at Halloween. Basically, in a a big chunk of um, various uh, Christian artwork uh, that has been um, done over the years, Bats were portrayed as Minions of the Devil, uh, the, the antithesis, the uh, spiritual lackeys of other demons and things like that, kind of like a demon's familiar. So, bats are good creatures. Bats keep insect populations down. Bats, you know, have rights to their own existence. Um, so, it's they, to me, bats are the farthest thing away from being demonic or whatever and i welcome i welcome bats at salen i welcome bats all year round but the association with them being tied to the underworld and the ancestors and things like that i welcome it because that gives us a animal connection to the other world that you know we don't have to one thing i think of uh, a lot of pagans do out of you know uh, just not thinking about a lot of times as we think of ourselves on a human level, and that's it. We don't don't consider the rest of the natural world. So we're missing out if all we do is think of pagans as pagans and not connecting to the animals because the animals are important for what they give us animistically, for all of the lore, stories. I did not know that, that's very cool. I, I can believe it. Yeah, I would believe that they would be. Um, but so it's like, you know, we tend to think of, we're selfish. We think of ourselves as the only beings on the planet, but we're not. And there are so many other creatures that are here with us that it, you know, that is why, you know, we have this dichotomy of back and forth, how we influence the the, the story of species and how the species of the world affect our story the things uh the big bad wolf the big bad wolf could have been just the big bad dude but you know in that story the personification of a bad being a bad creature the wolf was given that wolves were you know looked down upon so in that fairy tale in that myth in that story when little red riding hood was going to grandma's house she wasn't being attacked by the lecherous old man from you know a few houses down. She was being followed and stalked by a big bad wolf. So that's an example right there. Um, but then again, you know, there's so many negative connotations with anim- the animistic side of things. But there are certain animals and other things that add a more mystical, majestic, and honored type of existence and way of doing things spiritually for the druids and the Celts, and one of those is one of my favorites um the bear the bear in uh, greek myth is known as artio the the british isles the bear was arthur king of the britons in ireland he's known as arth and although the bear was native to the nile to the isles unfortunately uh, bears are pretty much extinct. Um, uh, bears in work were very uh, prevalent. Uh, it, evidence of it being a totem animal is found in ve- uh, very, very many Celtic designs. Um, although it is not mentioned necessarily in too many legends, uh, the one thing about uh, the idea of uh, the 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 bear is that the bear was strong, the bear was powerful. But the one thing magically was that bears bring balance and harmony in your life. One thing about that is like bears in a ecological system can keep certain predators away. Okay, so if you have one thing that is overrunning a certain area of your uh, area of existence, the place where your tribe and stuff is, if you have bears that are around, uh, you have the chance of not having so many of those predators and things around because they will take care of them. Um, also bears do eat fish and other things and stuff like that, but there are times where if a bear is, you know, taken to it, they will attack another animal and eat if necessary um the next and this is one of the more magical beings um and it's very important to me because being a pagan i love mead and so this is called the biak which is bee the bee is uh usually mentioned in connection with honey and mead which mead is basically uh mead in its earliest forms was found uh in various places not just ireland and britain and stuff but you there were times when uh, beehives would would fall off of a branch into the knock of a split tree. And if that split tree wasn't completely uh, uh, compromised, rainwater would fill up into that cavity. And the natural yeast that is found within the branch and bark and leaves of the tree would help to ferment that honey water. Into a very potent and tasty alcoholic beverage known as mead. And the bee was the purveyor of that. The bee was the one who built the hives. The bee was the one who existed in that hive and did what it did to uh, make the honey that was there that, you know, caused the hives to grow and the colonies to get bigger and stuff. And, uh, you know, looking at it now um bees are industrious they are just as industrious if not more so than ants you know and that's a lot to say because we look at so much of this stuff um uh you know how ants are you know the the, the you know they can carry so many times more of their weight and all this but a bee bees are important because you look at it this way bees are important in the way that without them we would have a hard trouble surviving Okay, just literally being able to eat because there are so many things that once a bee pollinates a plant, then it grows and that plant grows the right way and we get various fruits, vegetables, and all these things and even stuff that becomes food for our uh, animal friends, you know, bovine food, uh, you know, cattle and stuff like this. So bees are very important. It has been estimated that if the entire Honeybee population, the, the any bee that produces honey, period, if all of them were dead, that humanity in the entirety of the globe, at the longest, would have four to four and a half, maybe five years to exist uh, before we would be in very, very bad dire straits. Because we have so much that, you know, we've got put up in cans and all this other stuff. But as far as having the ability to grow crops and then have other crops that are available to feed our livestock and things like that. It's bees are the givers of life. And they're the givers of mead, which my good friend Aaron is going to come by this weekend, hopefully, and get some beautiful blueberry mead that I've labored long and not so hard over. But I still have a good uh, you know rapport with it because I'm glad that it came out so nice. But so... Don't kill bees if you can. Uh, And here in Springfield, I've seen some crazy stuff. There was um, a friend of mine years ago, whenever I had become part of the coven here in town, that he had uh, this one car that he had trouble getting to start, and he had left it parked for a year. And he went to get a new motor, and he was going to put the new motor in and get everything to where it would go. And he needed to get a tire out of the trunk to put a new tire on and all this stuff. He had it in there, he was ready to go. He was gonna get this car started up and go do his thing. Whenever he opened the trunk in the back where you have that little hump where the wheel well is, on the left side, I believe, the entire left side of that hump from the beginning of the trunk all the way up to just where the wires come into the uh, uh, taillights was covered in bees. So the guy had to call, uh, he called the city first and the uh, university extension got a hold of him to, got him put in touch with a beekeeper that knew how to move hives. Um, Most good beekeepers know how to do those processes and stuff. So it took like... They had to prepare. They had to get uh, bee boxes and some of this other stuff because the guy said, I'll take them completely off of your hands. But it took a while to get those bees out of there. I've seen um, trailer parks here in town that people have gone and just thought everything was okay and cool. And then one day they go into their bathroom and those little double windows, the inner window, then the outer window that faces, you know, the rest of the trailers and stuff, you know, throughout the park there's a space that's probably about eight inches across like that and from about six inches up on one part to six inches up on the other and the entire bottom part of that sill on the inside it had encrusted with honeycomb and that entire window was almost blacked out with bees that was another situation where the hive had to be moved because queens go where queens end up and that's how you get a hive established, and get these things going. So, but I won't never, you know, do anything to bees because I love them so much for giving us the honey that we use to make mead. Um, plus, it's so great in cooking, and you know the other things that we use it for for sweetening our cakes and cookies and all these other things. But it's it's ancient mead and honey and the bees, and they're very magical. Whenever you're working with meditation, there are times when you can meditate and include bees in the equation for what your meditation or your spell or your ritual thought is, and bees will add life to your meditation, your ritual, your spell, whatever it is, because that's what they are. They are givers of life. All right, next we have the blackbird, called the l'en They're singing puts the listener in a sleep or trance, which enables him or her to journey to the other world. It is said that the blackbird imparts mystic secrets to those who hear um, uh, its song, its singing. Um, Blackbirds and ravens and crows, that whole uh, um, genre of birds, are very important because they are the mediocre, the mediators. They are the mediators between a, a human soul, the gods, and the other world. When the gods say it's your time to go, you go out into battle. You fight bravely. You lose your life. The gods say, "All right, it's time to go to the other world. It's where you're going to wait, and uh, you know wait for your time to come back." The Anam one spirit, many lives. So. These animals are very important. Uh, The raven, everybody's seen the crow, the crow city of angels. Um, And this ties, the blackbird, the the raven, and the crow ties into the goddess Morrigan. So we start to get some of the the more uh, connected things between the animals and the gods. Because then by this time you've got people that are starting to think, well, what are the traits of the Morrigan? What are the traits of Danu? What are the traits of Dagda? Which we're going to talk about some of those here as we go a little bit further into this. Um, So you've got these things that tie the gods together. And one of the things, it's like their avatar, if a god couldn't be here in a physical, humanized, what we view form, the next best thing is going to be an animal. And all of the gods, in some form or another, have animal Animistic associations with who they are, and it's mostly also whenever you hear the names of the animals, you think about the traits of what the animals have, and those are the traits that the aforementioned God has. As an example, ravens, crows, and blackbirds being mercen- uh, missionaries of the soul to the other world, they are what would be the right-hand men to Morgan. Because she is the battle crow. She is the goddess of life and death. But people don't realize that everybody thinks of her as a goddess of death. But she is also a part of the triplicity. That is Morgu, Eru, and uh, Bev. Which is what gave us Ireland itself. So she's not just a goddess of death. But you get that association. Especially around Salon and some of the more... Uh, Uh, prevalent rituals and times and the dark half of the year. All right, let me get a drink here. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I agree, uh, Aaron, with you on the bears. Bears are healers. That's one of the big things in the Native American here in the United States, and some of the Indian tribes and things that are in South America and other countries as well. Because, you know, there are bears in so many places that, you know, that's another thing. Whenever you look at the world itself, you know, you've got Ireland here, but then you look at the entirety of the planet. Even from back in those ancient times, the thoughts and ideas that pertain to a creature or an animal or a plant or a stone or whatever have migrated to so many other places that it's pretty cool because then you get to see. You know how similar uh, in spots in places that are that our uh, beliefs are. You know there are so many traditions of paganism and pagan-related. Like there are people in in the South America and these other Aztec-type places that they wouldn't call themselves pagan. Pagan is something that we've come up with. Uh, you know within the last few hundred years, but it's just a it's a term that you know denotes what we are but you know they look at what has gone on in brazil um, venezuela uh peru and and on and on and on and so forth for thousands of years and being in those jungle atmospheres those those you know those places where uh there wasn't a whole lot of agrarian because there wasn't enough space to be agrarian you had to hunt you had to fight through the snakes and all of these different things Up until society started, in Aztec times, society started to coalesce more with the pyramids. um, You know, uh, 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 what's the main one? I can't think of it. It's the one everybody goes to. But you've got all of these things. So, you know, that's another thing. Whenever, you know, we think that we, uh, Druids and pagans, we kind of think that we have the market covered sometimes on spiritual ideas and stuff. We don't because there's, the rest of the planet. What we're taking for ourselves is we're taking these things that work from the Irish, you know, the Irish island itself and what we do here in the United States and various places because everything that we're dealing with here and now is new. What we're trying to do is incorporate things that were from thousands of years ago into our modern life. And luckily, we have enough of a, Uh, background to know what some of these things were and that's another reason why I love being pagan is because we can find these things out and then I can do videos here on Facebook to let you guys know because sometimes people don't think about this Or, or you know well put put it this way there's a majority of people who don't because they get kind of caught in the you know the glitz and glamour of you know robes and wands and toys and all these things That a lot of times they don't see the bigger picture. They don't see what the connections are, even with something as, you know, not human as the animal species that are out there in the world. And they're very important because those are the stories that the druids told to their kids. Uh, Those are the acts of bravery when that group of men went out and fought, you know, bravely to, you know, kill these animals to bring them home. And that's another thing. It's like one thing that I think is important for Pagans to know is uh, the idea that, uh, you know, nowadays we have so much what we call sport hunting. Indiscriminate killing just because you got a gun and you want to go out and do something. I, I can't stop anybody from doing it. I'll never be able to stop anybody from doing it. But for me, my thing is if I do ever go hunting with anybody, I'm not big on it. I'll admit that. But if I go out and I take an animal's life, I'm going to properly ritualize it. I'm going to thank the animal for its sacrifice. And I'm going to do my damnedest to use as much of it as possible. And then I will save the head because they say that the power of, of, a, of a being is in its mind and in its, in its head. So you keep that. And you honor the sacrifice of the animal. I mean, you know, I, I, the only thing is, That's another thing we will kind of uh, give you the Celtic side of how I think about living today. We talk about this animistic side of things, and what we realize is sometimes we're hypocritical with it because of the simple fact that we eat meat, okay? And yes, I know that there is a growing movement for people to be vegan and vegetarian and all these other things. And that's great, too, you know, to each their own. But here's the thing i look at the 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 processes that brought mankind from the earliest times till here and there were periods when uh you know that meat was mostly consumed because a lot of times you couldn't grow food um you know and finding roots and vegetables that were edible sometimes if you cleaned out an area sometimes it took a while for you know other plants of the type to grow back, so you were forced into being an omnivore. You know, there was just, there was no way around it. You had to be able to survive, and we did that on animal flesh. But then you also look at the way society started to uh, develop, and you look at the, like the ways that animism changed when we became agrarian. We started growing wheat, barley, corn, root vegetables tomatoes potatoes yams and all these different things it came to the point where uh, we started to have a more healthy variety of food so we were able to have you know bear steaks and all this stuff so we became more balanced in our eating okay now over our lifetime we started to come into the age of science an age of science specifically medical science when you have doctors and researchers studying the human body for so many years you know they'll tell you that you know this meat has too much cholesterol or this plant over here you know has too much uh, sodium within it and all this stuff this is stuff that you know has just recently when the within the last two three four hundred years started to make itself known to us because we started to really study the human body now i'm a person that believes all things in moderation i'm not going to eat 10 steaks a day every day seven days a week i can't do it i'd never be able to go to the bathroom again just couldn't handle it but i am one of those people that believes in a mixed diet i'm going to eat fruits i'm going to eat vegetables i'm going to eat meat i'm going to eat grains and i'm going to eat cookies and cakes and whatever because other than times whenever I know that my health is kind of not in the best, then I will adjust that. I will stop eating so much of the sweets and things like that. Be more mindful of my vitamin intake and some of that stuff. But I'm not going to be a vegetarian I'm not going to just stay on 24 hours of meat every day. I'm not going to do the keto diet. And then on the other side of it, you know, um, the, you have the people that say, well, don't Eat meat because you know, you're eating something with a mother. Well, do you think and, and, and whatever? But are you telling me that plants are not sentient beings? They are saying that trees have ways of communicating. Forests have ways of communicating with each other. So if a tree can have feelings to a degree, they have measured certain things that they can say are a quote-unquote feeling. So do you not think that maybe a carrot or a tomato or a sunflower a stalk or whatever isn't a sentient being? Anything that, you know, because there's a process. Plants take in sunlight, and water, and nutrients from the earth to grow and to make themselves into whatever it is that they are. So I believe that plants are just as much, uh, just as much sentient being as a cow or a pig or a chicken or a duck or a swan or whatever, it's just, you know, their way of being sentient is different compared to us, compared to an animal. And um, so it's like, you gotta look at it too. And it's also the same thing, you know, okay, if you're gonna honor an animal that you slaughter to to feed you and your family, why, why can't you do the same thing when you go to your garden and you pick, tomatoes and potatoes and cucumbers and peas and all this thing. Offer a a praise to the gods, thank them for the bounty and thank the plants themselves for doing that for you. You know, you planted it, you went through the toil, the plant took over, it grew, it got the nutrients it needed to eventually make the fruit and vegetables that you need to feed yourself and your family. So whenever it comes to, you know, rituals and things that you can do, go wild there are so many different kinds of things that you can do to honor these beings because they're just as much of a being as a cow or anything else so it's like i'm one of those people that i follow the celtic model of balance you know eat the beef eat the the vegetables and everything will be okay you know just everything in moderation the right way and you'll have a good long existence you'll have a good long life so We talked about bears and we've talked about the blackbird now we come into one of the most important animals uh within uh irish celtic mythology story and that is the boar one of the one of the uh uh high high points of a of a of the celtic society is the idea of of the the heads of the clans the um chiefs and things like that they wore these things around their neck called torques okay and torque was metal that was twisted together into a shape that went around their neck with designs and ornate heads and things that were placed on them at the end of their making and one of the more prevalent designs that you would see would be a boar's head boars were some of the most vicious dangerous most oh just scariest animal um uh you know they were ferocious they were cunning if you were if you were not careful a boar would take you down they would just run up on you grab you by the leg and just take you out like you were nobody's business now saying that that was why that a lot of the kings the high kings and the uh you know, even some of the lesser clan chiefs and stuff, would take on these personas that they were like of the boar. Another thing is when we're talking about knotwork, there are many, and I encourage you to look these up, there are uh, books specifically that deal with the animistic knotwork uh, designs that were done by the uh, Celtic peoples. But one of the designs that you're going to see a lot is the image of the boar. And uh, you know, so it was like,, uh, you know, that was one of the one of the more important known animals that were uh, you know found at one time on the British Isles, found in Ireland, and various other places. Now they're not found so much anymore, and the reason for that is just you know population and so on and so forth. So whenever you're in an area that is overly populated, these you know these animals and their, areas are gonna be so decimated that you're not gonna be able to find them. Uh, so it's like, you know, it's like the once and future king, you know, it's like it was there for a while and now it's not, it's sad that we've lost so many of these species. Um, but it was, you know, that was just the way it was back then, you know, that these that these animals had, had traits that were important to life, but there were also animals like the boar that they were ferocious, they were, Animals that would scare people, you know, there were people within the tribes and the clans that, you know, wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole, except for those of the lads that were brave enough to go out hunting and to try to catch one or kill one and bring it back for the tribes. Because whenever you're that badass to go by yourself or with just you and another friend to go out into these wild areas uh, in Ireland and you don't know where you're going to be from one minute to the next. You know are you going to be ambushed by one or two boars you know are they going to take you down so this is something that it gave fodder for the bards to say okay well this joe blow went out here with his friend and they killed two boars barehanded and brought the meat back to the tribe that developed society okay next is one of my favorites because we talk about this and in the order of standing up this is one of the things that after you uh, initiate into uh, one of the rings, depending on your grade, that this is a ritual that any man or woman can ask to participate in, and is called the tarb Face, and tarb Face means bull feast. So what we're talking about um, is the bull, and a common it's common animal in Irish Celtic uh, 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 you know story. Um, that it symbolizes strength and potency. And at the bull feast, basically what the bull feast was, uh, the tarb face, is that a person would be taken out into a remote area away from uh, their clan and their tribe. And they would be a, uh, accompanied by three priests. Two would carry the bull a bull hide. And um, the other priest would carry uh, uh, a sack with other implements and things that were needed to start a fire and drums and some other things. And what the tarp face is, is a form of, uh, uh, sensory deprivation. So what would happen is a fire would be built, um, just before sundown, the candidate for the tarp face would be placed inside the, uh, bull hide naked and the, uh, Uh, priest would hand the, uh, um, the candidate a cup of broth made from stewed bull meat to drink, and then would be given a large piece of gristly bull meat, and they would pull this over their head so they would be completely cocooned, and while they were doing this, they would drink the broth, and they would chew on this hunk of meat and speaking of which if you have you ever heard the phrase chewing the fat this is where we get that phrase because basically during the tired face when you're wrapped up in this bull hide you are chewing the fat and during this uh, the drums would be played and the other priests would dance around the fire and chant and things like that and what would happen is you would go through a journey kind of like a scrying type thing, just, you know, your own self in this environment. And whenever you're in a sensory deprivation thing, your body isn't tied to this plane. Your spirit isn't tied to this plane of existence. So the tarred face allows you to go to the gods. The tarred face allows you to, to journey to the other world, you know. And so it was very important. And one of two, and what would be done afterwards is, um, the main priest, the other two would have to go away, and you would divulge uh, what you um, experienced during the tar face. But the only thing is, you would just you would give up just so much, and you would keep one bit of information to yourself because it is said that you never give up, you never completely give up your power. And whenever you take on the tar face itself, you are empowering yourself. Whenever you go through this rite, whenever you go through this ritual you are building up your own energy, as it were, um, to, you know, be better for your tribe magically and things like that. So the tar face, the bull, Tarvos, the bull, Isis, Tarvos, the, the, the bull was very important. And then we come to one of the coolest things that I've ever seen that I just love and I've loved as a kid um, and I did not know that this was going to be part of that animistic side of the Celts, but the next thing that we have is the butterfly. Um, butterflies in, in most cultures um, are, uh, uh, they're keepers of power. Um, if you come to a, a, a meadow or a field or a place that is, um, you know, inhabited by the fae folk, they, there tend to be lots and lots of butterflies. Those butterflies represent the to, to be keepers of the pow, of power, and also in certain instances at various times of the year when butterflies are active, they are uh, tantamount to being uh, the embodied souls of the dead, which I think that's so cool. And that makes me feel bad actually, because whenever I was a kid, I used to hunt butterflies in my neighborhood. I had the little uh, ornithoptic book, you know, that you could open it up and you could, you know, place the butterflies in various parts and pin them down. And believe it or not, here in Missouri, when I was a kid in the 70s, there were many, believe it or not, a lot of different butterfly species. We even had monarchs that came through back in those days. But now, unfortunately, with the way that our weather patterns are with so much flooding and society with so much fumes and chemicals and all this stuff, we're unfortunately, we are killing off so many beautiful species of butterflies. There are ones with blue wings. There are ones with red wings. And that's one thing for those of you that are magical people and that also like to do divination and things like that, work with the butterflies because we don't know how much longer we're going to have them our society is so messed up in, in the way that we do things that all of these animals that we're talking about you know there are just as many of the animals that i'm talking about now here as there are in ireland and because you know most a lot of the animals that we're talking about tonight uh are not found in ireland anymore that's just because you know millennia have gone, you know hundreds of years have gone by where It gives time for those numbers to decrease, but America has such a huge land mass and we have so many different diverse ecosystems and we're killing them. And I just think, you know, if we can do anything, grow flowers, grow as many flowers as you can because butterflies love them, bees love them, other ladybugs and all these other various beneficial insects are important and they're great for working magic with because they're helpers. They're helpers to us. When we respect them magically and spiritually and ritually, they help us. You know, sometimes whenever we're wondering, well, why is the, the ritual and spell work and meditation and divination and things that I'm doing not cutting the mustard? Because sometimes we're trying to rely on ourselves so much that we're not giving out more to the earth to help us. And the earth is more than just the dirt that's under our feet. It's those animals as well. Holy crap, we're almost at 120 people. I want to say hello to everybody that just came in. If you just got here within just the last little bit, tonight we're talking about Irish Celtic animism as it pertains to Druidry and modern Druidic thought, specifically Irish Druidry. So I very much welcome you guys here tonight. And and it's like we're, we're just barely touching the surface I mean this is so cool and it's almost like a biological thing you know where you can uh, you know just go on it forever because there are so many things that um, that tie the animals that tie to the ways of the Celts. the next thing is probably everybody's favorite which I'll probably get lots of little loves out of this but surprisingly the next animal on the animistic list is cats Yes, you heard it right, cats. Um, and the example for that is many of the Celtic legends pictured the cat as a ferocious, evil creature. But um, at the time, that the reason why a lot of times that they were considered as ferocious and evil, because for all those times, cats were mostly in that part of the world untamed. As, in other words, not domesticated now considering Egypt and these other places that were heavily into cat worship with Bast and other things you know whenever you're in an area that is mostly you know warring tribes and things like that you can't help but you know if you do have a cat it's 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 very most likely it's going to be feral so that's where the idea that cats are ferocious but if you take it in and you love it and you feed it and you take care of it even feral cats, you've got a 70% chance of getting them to domesticate a little bit. If not, you know, then the other 30%, they're just going to tell you to screw off and go do whatever. Because I've seen a lot of feral cats out in the country, and it's just a crapshoot. If you want one to come in the house, you've just got to work with it and keep on it. But so cats are not detrimental. Cats are important. They do things, you know, it's like... uh Cats are the natural life cycle thing too. Whenever you have a cat in your house, cats keep the mice populations down. Although it seems kind of bad, you know that poor cat, or that that cat is killing that poor mouse. But it's that's just the way it is. Cats are protectors, especially that whenever they're being fr- uh, confrontated. So like if they have uh, a mother cat, as her kittens are being threatened, mother cats will go nuts, just the same as a mother dog will. But I just don't like the idea of getting shredded up by those claws. I don't know if any of you have ever had cat scratch fever, but it ain't a Ted Nugent song. So I'll raise my hand. I've had cat scratch fever twice in my life, and it wasn't fun. Um, and it was because I messed with the wrong cat. So it's like, but cats, whenever you have them domesticated and they're in your home, that's the one thing is they are they are loving. They are, They are protectors. You know, how many times, how many of you have gone out for the day and uh, you come home and you go to open up your dryer and put your laundry away or put your laundry in the basket and you turn around and the cat has placed a dead mouse as a gift on top of your freshly warmed laundry that has come out of the uh, laundry machine. Me, had it many times. They, if they like you, they want to give you gifts. They want to go, this is for you. Although we don't want what they're giving us. Um, you know, also the ones that go out and kill birds and leave them on your front porch because that's another gift. That cat likes you so much that he wants to share that or she wants to share that with you. But, you know, it's like I'm a dog person, but you get me the right cat. And if they have the right personality and stuff like that, I love cats. If they're, you know, if, if they're, they give you that piss off attitude, you're a human and I don't care. Nah, I don't like those. But the ones that are go, I'm I'm, I'm the badass of the house, I'm gonna check you out, I'll sniff you a little bit, and then I'll climb up in your lap, and if you pet me nice, it's all over with. And I've done that. Had a cat that my mom got fresh, she had it for maybe a week or two, I come to visit, he came up and sniffed me, climbed up in my lap, and he wouldn't leave me alone until completely before I even got ready to leave and come back to Springfield. So cats are very much ours. Every society has a connection to cats, and so did the Celts, so did the Irish. All right, now we move into uh, uh, the cock, or otherwise known as the rooster. Uh, It is said that in um, Irish legend that the cock chases away ghosts and other night terrors by his crowing at dawn. That's the one thing, it's just like, uh, the 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 this represents the power. Like if you've ever watched a horror movie where you're going through all night and all these people are being chased by vampires and all this stuff, but you know that whenever the sun rises and you hear that, you know that sound of the cock crowing as the sun comes up, the a that vampire better be back into his coffin or it lights out, and that. The idea of the cock crowing at sunrise, it's telling everybody it's time to get up for one thing, but it's also by it being there year after year after year, if you specifically, if you live in those areas, that everything's okay. That the cock, when he crows in the morning, that is the thing that says negativity is gone. The night is done because people feared the night, the night and day. They, you know, there was powers that they embraced because everything is seen not hidden during the daylight the night there are so many terrors that come out of the dark that it made the people fearful so whenever that that crow that crow that came at sunrise it said that okay we don't have to be fearful anymore because we know the sun's rising and that we can go on with our day so the idea of roosters and also for aaron roosters are very important in uh chinese and japanese and various other uh, Asian societies as well, so it's not just uh, hell. It's the the rooster is important in American uh, folklore and stuff as well too. So that is, you know that's a surprise that an animal that seems so innocuous would have that kind of an influence on spiritual thought with people. Uh, next, we're going to talk about the bovine, otherwise known as the bull bo- cow, the cow bovine. And one of the goddesses are uh, her uh, kind of mascot is the cow. Her name was Boan, B-O-A-N-N-E, and once, uh, once so important to the Celts that cows were considered a form of currency. Well, that's that's the thing, you know, cattle, sheep, pigs, herds were just as much of, of important as money. You know, whenever you were a chief or a king, a high king of Ireland or whatever, it wasn't just the people that were important, but how many herds did you have? How many of how much cattle Um, and, uh, you know, these other things and cattle were so important that it influenced, uh, uh, you know, Irish, Irish lore, mainly the Tain Bo Coulon, which is the cattle raid of Cooley. So, which I highly recommend you read it. There is the sacred text archive here online that has the entirety of the Tain in uh, English. And it's a great read, but cattle were very important uh, druidically as well. Um, There were druid cast that wore robes and uh, uh, things that were made out of cowhide. So it was very, you know, the, the, the cattle aspects were very important. Um, The cow symbolizes contentedness, defending our inner child, and providing for our daily needs. Cows give us milk, butter, beef, all of these things. So once again, you have an animal that was looked upon by an animistic society that said, this is important because this is our people, how our people are gonna survive through the winter and into the spring and so forth. Because you could take the meat and you could dry it, and you could make soot and all these other things, so that you could feed your people. Um, you didn't, you know, you didn't have to worry about, you know, uh, being relegated to just one thing. Because you could have cows, you could have pork, you could have all this other stuff. So, you, you know, the cattle were the, those insurance policies that said the Celtic peoples, the Irish, were going to be able to survive another year, so they became very important, and spiritually, they are very important as well. Next, we're going to talk about, the. we talked about the crow. We're just going to give you this little bit. This animal is treated with care, along with the blackbird and the raven. The crow is the symbol of conflict, which I've talked about as far as war, and death, an ill omen. Although the crow was, was ill-omened, it was also considered to be skillful, cunning, single-minded, and for those that were practitioners of magic, a bringer of magical knowledge. Now, one of my most favorite, because my name is Sylvanus, my actual druidic name is Sylvanus Treewalker. And whenever you think about uh, forests in Britain, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, so on and so forth, What is the one animal that you see in abundance that is just so majestic and and so spiritual in its form that it, it cannot be left out? Well, that is the deer or the stag. And that gives us the Dagda. Dagda was known as he of the red hair, the stag of the people, the all father. So when we talk about the Dagda, and, and, and what he is in, as far as his place within the Tuatha, the Tuatha De Danan, He was very important in the deer and specifically the stag. <coughs> excuse me, was very important. Specifically, it was also given the form that the most mystical of these were the white doe or the white stag. The deer was often a messenger uh, from the other world to the gods. And to men in between following uh, such an animal into the forest led the unsuspecting human into contact with supernatural beings hold on let me get a drink here as an example of that we look at the story of Oshin and Neve Oshin went on a hunting trip with his uncle and his uh, cousins And they come into a forest and Oshin says, I'm going to go off this way and see if I can find uh, a deer for us. So they go off and he is by himself and he sees this beautiful deer. He goes, all right, I'm going to, you know, get this. And he goes after it, the deer leads him on a chase. And he comes around this one tree and instead of finding a deer, he finds this beautiful young woman standing in a white dress with long flowing hair. And she says, Oshin, my name is Neve, and I am a daughter of the king of the fairy. And so Oshin and Neve go into the underworld, the other world. And uh, he was there for 300 years. And basically, what had happened was at the end of the 300 years, which seemed as of just a minute, just a blink of an eye for, for what the actual time was. Oshin said to Neve, I miss being with my people. I miss my family and all this stuff. You know, he goes, can I go back? And the, the, the fairy King says, yes, uh, you can go back. And he had been on a horse. Um, his horse was still there, but he goes, um, whenever you go back to your people, you're going to have a hard way with it. And he goes, why? And he goes, you'll have to stay on your horse uh, to be able to go back. Because basically, you know, he was stuck there in the other world with the, the King of the fairy and Neve, his daughter. So he goes up and he's on his horse and he's riding to find his uncle and his cousins. And he's going down a road past a farm where a couple of farmers Are trying to get their plow to come up out of a ditch, and they go. He goes, "What's the matter?" And they go, "Our plow, we can't get it to, you know, come up out of this ditch." And uh, so, Oshin goes. All right, he gets off of his horse and goes to his 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 people, and he helps them to do it. As soon as he as his feet touch the ground, he becomes as of an old man because. as long as he stayed onto the horse, he would be immortal. So basically, he gave up his immor- excuse me, he gave up his immortality to help his people. And so that is a great story. If you want to see a great representation of that story, um, you can go to YouTube and look up the the uh, story of Oshin and Neve by Brian Froud. Um, If any of you have the elves, dragons, fairies, those hardback books that they used to sell at Walden's that were about so thick, and you opened them up like a pop-up book, and they'd have little crystals and gems and stones and pop-up dragons and things like that. Those were done by Brian Froud, and this was an animated version of that story. Matter of fact, the name of it is called Elves, as a matter of fact. Thank you or no it's called fairies excuse me and it is the entirety of it is available on YouTube so if you want to check that out I would highly recommend it because it kind of gives you an idea of what that story was about and also it's just a regal deer and the stag I mean it's such a regal being such a regal animal um, some people say in Africa the lion is the king of beast I believe in the European and Mostly the Celtic and British Isles and stuff. The stag is the most spiritual and most relevant because of its tying to kings and to the gods and these different things. So working with ritual and divination and things like that, you definitely want to work with uh, the stag. Then we have another one, which is one of the most uh, um, you know, uh, important for uh, uh, as far as, you know, the lore. Have any of you heard of the story of Finn McCool? Uh, a cool, the Mac-cool, C-U-M-H-A-I-L. A cool is a dog or a hound. Hounds are often men- mentioned in the, uh, Celtic myths, such as Bran and Sjallin, which belong to Finn McCool. Finn McCool was, um, uh, uh, kind of like their master okay he was the one that uh, brought them around and it says dogs represent and hounds represent tracking skills and the ability to Santa trail and companionship that they bring to their master also in various other stories such as the Hounds of Hell Cerberus the three-headed hound was the keeper of the uh, uh, one of the keepers of the River Styx once uh, uh, Sauron brought people across the river. Whenever you got to the other side of the river, sticks Cerberus would be there, and you would have to get past Cerberus to further make your way into uh, the other world. So just uh, with that tie to there, you have um, uh, the you know the the like I said how animals the animism wasn't just tied to one place. So you have those another one. That I just almost po- I forgot is the crane and the crane is where we get I don't know how many of you are uh, initiated into a, a, a druidic tradition or work as solitary druids now but one of the things in druidic regalia that we have is something called the crane bag the crane bag is the bag of mysteries and the bag of and the bag of mysteries the crane bag is where we place items for ourselves that are very important that we want no one else to see. Um, they are hidden away and we only bring them out for various ritual times. And I, my crane bag is in my bedroom put up with my robe and a, a very cool friend of mine uh, took some white tanned deer hide and some deer bone and stitched it all together, put some uh, st- strings off the end of it and made the the snap out of a deer bone. Um, and so whenever you have, uh, also, uh, I don't know if any of you listen to Jess O'Toole, but if you've ever seen Ian Anderson play the flute, he stands on one leg. And that right there is from Druidry Two. It is called the Heron Pose. And the Heron Pose is what's done whenever you are wanting to contemplate the future or scry or look into a situation And what you're doing is you are standing on one leg, uh, like he did, um, and you have one hand on your crane bag and your hand over one eye and looking with the other. And this is called the heron pose, which a heron and cranes were tied together. So the cranes are very important in that aspect too. Now here where I live, you're not gonna see a lot of cranes. There are cranes in North America but they are sparse. They are not, you know, very easily found. So there's that aspect to things too. So that whenever you think of the, the crane bag, you can see that that animal, that that bird is very highly respected and, 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 and worked with within druidic ritual and uh, other things. Oh, this is so cool. And this is one that I did not know, but I can understand that it would be. Next, we're going to talk about the idea of the dolphin. The dolphin is tied to the god Mananon, the sea god, the god that has the the, uh, great boat wave sweeper that goes to the land beyond the ninth wave, which for me is Hybrasil. And it says that this creature was associated with many sea deities. It deals with dreams and harmony and recognizing... And balancing the rhythms of your body with those of nature. Next is this is one is a little bit of a surprise, but they were there also. Is the idea of the eagle, a bird noted in Ireland for wisdom and long life in many Celtic stories. The eagle represents swiftness, strength, keen sight, and the ever increasing knowledge of magic. Oh, and this. This is one of those, like, for talking with Erin at the beginning of the class tonight. She loves snakes. This is another one that I'm not so keen on, but it's, like, you know, to each their own. And I did not know that these were mentioned in in, in uh, Irish legends, so I'm going to have to look this up. But the eel. <laughs> the eel is mentioned in several Irish legends. The eel symbol symbolizes, excuse me, adaptive, adaptability wisdom, inspiration, and defense. Um, Next is what I call the clown of the forest. And of course the clown of the forest is the beautiful red fox. The fox are called the Sienot. The ability to watch the motivations and movements of others while remaining unobserved is one of the red fox's greatest abilities. So, The fox was important and they were magical beings, but it's like the way that they could hide and then the way that they can move basically undetected to a degree um, is like a way that. And one of the things that we'll talk about here after we get through this is how this pertains to the animistic proportions of shamanism. Um, So you have that with the foxes and then next we have the frog. The frog is considered the keeper of courage. Um, The frog brings new ideas, the ability to nurture oneself and to find connections between your ideas and the gods. Um, Then we have the hare or the rabbit, both, an animal sacred to the gods. In particular, its movements were sometimes used for divination. uh, the hair was used just this way before a battle with the Romans on the British Isle by the uh, uh, Queen of the Iceni, Boudica. Associated with transformation, the receiving of hidden teachings and intuitive messages. Um, also, uh, the hare and the rabbit are highly uh, t- t- tied to fertility. You know, I mean, that's one of the the egg. And things like that, those are one of the things that we as pagans, and those that follow pagan traditions, see as one of the main, uh, you know, arbiters of fertility, especially at Beltane, on through Midsummer, and various other times of the year. So the hare and the rabbit are two very, very important proponents of animistic thought and, and spiritual work within Celtic traditions. Holy crap, we've almost got 160 people here. I'm so glad you guys are here. Thank you guys for hanging out. We've got a lot more to go. I'm really glad that you guys are here. This class is one that I've thought about that has been pretty important for a long time, so we're going to keep on going with it. So we've done with the hare. Next we have the hawk. The hawk symbolizes clear sightedness and fair memory. If you hear a hawk cry during a journey, be alert to upcoming situations that need decisive thought to keep from being thrown off balance. Next, we talk about the hedgehog. This prickly little creature often shows a need for uh, less defensiveness and seriousness. The hedgehog says, appreciate life more. Um, next, we have the horse. And this is where we get into, if you've ever heard of Aman or Maka, the bringer of an uh, Epona. When we talk about the goddesses of nightmares, of, of horses in general, um, we, we get that, but we also, just not the idea of the fact that they are the bringers of nightmares and things into a horrifying thing for us, but horses, because of their majesticness and their strength, they are symbolic of stamina, endurance, and faithfulness, and we see it here. We see it in America these days. How many of you buy thumbs up out there, own horses, uh, you know, and take care of them? They are the most loyal creatures that you will have. They will, you know, they will be there for you. They let us sit on their backs and ride them. They take us into places that, you know, that we couldn't go otherwise. You know, they take us on journeys into areas that we would have never been able to for one reason or another. And whenever you look at a tarot card or a divinatory symbol or something like that that has a horse on it, it's something that you can focus in on and go to places that you don't necessarily uh, ever get to, that you've never been to before in your mind and in your ritual work and stuff like that. So working with horses uh, in that vein is very important also. Next, oh, and here's another one I'm not so much of a fan of, but they do have connections to the gods, are lizards. And in Irish Gaelic, they're called Dirk. They symbolize the shadowy planes of manifestation where events are constantly changing and shape, shaping different patterns. If you see a lizard on a journey, be alert to the below-the-surface activities going on around you. So in other words, keep an eye out for the details. In Ireland... The lynx is the creature that is the keeper of deep secrets and hidden knowledge. It can help with divinatory skills and the development of psychic senses. Sometimes the lynx will symbolize the need to look deeper within yourself and see what is hidden. Plus, I think the lynx is just so damn cool looking that I give it a thumbs up myself because that is just such a cool looking animal. Um, They're very rare. And as far as the cat likeness of what they are, I just think they're incredible. You know, there's there's very few animals that compare to the way that a lynx is. Next we have the one of them. here. They're in Missouri and the area, and sometimes they're overly loud, and I'm not really a fan of them. But once again, they are tied to uh, the Morrigan and other goddesses of life and death. The magpie, the magpie deals with omens and prophecies and they bring forth the mysteries of life and death. Next, we have the mouse. The mouse represents secrets, cunning, shyness, and the ability to hide in times of danger. Its appearance often signals the need to pay attention to details, especially the fine print in contracts or when in conversation, the double meanings that people try to throw your way. Next, we have the Doran or the Kuduv which is the otter. The otter is a strong protector who helps with the gaining wisdom, finding inner treasures or valuable talents, faithfulness, and ability to recover from any crisis. Uh, In Ireland, with the gods and the otters, it is meant to be that you should enjoy life instead of just enduring it. Next, we have the calioc, which is the owl. The owl in Ireland says that it can help to unmask those who would deceive you or take advantage of you. So when the owl says who, that's the thing right there. You have to think who is doing something, who is not being right with me, right with my situation, um, and so forth. So the owl is like one of those guys that unmasks things. But you have to think about it. Next, we have the pig, and the pig, like we talked about the boar, um, is the spiritual food that is necessary for the Irish shaman. So in other words, whenever shamans would go on journeys uh, to the other world and various other things, one of the things that they would ingest and eat lots of is pork. They would eat a lot of pig meat to help them uh, find the visions and things that they were doing and stuff, so surprisingly, the pig is very important in Irish shamanism. Next is the rat. Rats are sly, sometimes aggressive creatures, who track down whom the gods seek. They are kind of like uh, thieves that go looking for for someone in the night to, to make their presence known to the gods, and they are fearless, and they defend themselves with great ferociousness. The only thing I'm not a fan of rats is here where I live, we have little ones and we have big ones that are wild. And one night I was asleep in my bed in another house in another part of town before I live where I am now. And I had a big rat climb up in my bed and I started to swat it away because I didn't know what it was. And it bit me and it made me jump so hard out of my underneath my blanket that my blanket flew off and I slapped it clear out my bedroom door then I had to get up and go grab a broom and chase it out of my house and I didn't get you know any diseases or anything but my finger did bleed a little bit and that kinda freaked me out but no, he was about that big and he climbed up in bed with me and that freaked me out so unfortunately I am not a fan of rats not even the ones that people keep as pets because after that that just kinda threw it out the window for me (laughs) but They are spiritual. They are something that you can work with uh, as far as within your spiritual life. Next we have the Raven. The Raven and its reputation are dubious. It is an oracular bird, meaning that it gives prophecy. It often represents the upsets and cries of life before death that are necessary for anything new to happen within the underworld. Now, For the next one, we're gonna talk about one of the most important animals in Irish Celtic mythology, and that is the salmon. The salmon teaches you how to get in touch with ancestral knowledge and put it into practical use. But also, the salmon is the one that goes against the grain. The salmon swims upstream to breed. It doesn't go downstream, it goes against the grain. The salmon shows us how to to persevere to move forward when everything else is pushing against us. And the salmon is also another animal that has a lot of knot work in various illuminations, books, and things within Celtic history. The salmon's probably, the salmon and the boar are probably the top two that you're gonna find, and I highly recommend that you go and do an image search for salmon knot work and just look at the history and legends behind the salmon in Ireland. And you'll see that it is very important. Also, the fact that salmon can feed the tribes and the people. So, the salmon, like for me as a druid, salmon number one, then deer, and then boar, then bull, and then everything else after that. Next, we have the fibrag, which is the lonely little squirrel. This creature is always preparing for the future. It shows that the gods give us the ability to plan ahead so that we have time resources and energy stored to live our lives. So the gods have sent us the squirrels. So I think that's very cool. Next we have the majestic and beautiful swan. Swans are called Yola, and the uh, feathers were often used in the ritual cloaks of bards. That's why they weren't always necessarily done in white robes. What they called the feathered cloaks, and the cloaks were of swans. They were of white black, and various other colors. Swans are connected with music and song, the swan song. Swans are also helpful with the interpretations of dreams, transitions in our own spiritual life, and the evolution from this life to the next. Next we have the turtle. The turtle is slow-moving, methodical, and it teaches the gods to be always kind of slow and and steady with what you do knowing that by doing so you have the ability to protect yourself a lot greater than if you were rushing around like a chicken with your head cut off slow and steady wins the race that's what happened between the tortoise and the hare next we have the wolf the wolf which we talked about a little bit earlier which always got the bad rap like I said with the little red riding hood and such like that the wolf is a cunning, intelligent creature capable of outthinking hunters. It can teach you to read the signs of nature in everything, how to pass by danger invisibly, and how to outwit those that wish you harm, and how to fight when needed. Sometimes the world seen on a macro scale will lead you on a journey to the wolf as a spiritual teacher and guide. So, yes, there are druid groups and groves around the country. That have the wolf as their totem. Matter of fact, on Facebook there is a group called the Brothers of the Wolf Totem, which they are a Irish group of druids here on the on the on the thing. I'll have to find their actual Facebook link, and whenever we get done with this class, I will post it. And if you guys want to check them out, um, they have a good following. I think it's like I have a thousand members by now, and they are prolific. And I would be, it would be so cool if they could set up something here in the United States. But unfortunately, I believe that they are in Ireland right now. So that's cool. You know, it's like that gives us something to learn from. You know, that there are people that are still over there in Ireland right now that are doing druidic practice that are, you know, following the animals and things like that. So we have that. And then I think the last one that we have in the list here. Is I've got this on a on a uh, on a uh, Word Pad Word document here. Next we have the Driolan, which is the wren. The wren is one of the most sacred birds of the druids. Its musical notes were used for divination. Which, as a matter of fact, also the musical notes that were that are prolific from a wren's mouth are also tied to the ogham. Which, which, like I said, there's 27 different types of ogham. That is one of them. As with many other birds, the mes- the wren was considered a messenger or avatar of the Tuadei Danan. Now, having gone through that, next we go through some of the plants. Uh, we have Vervain. Vervain was a plant that said, and we're not going to go over too much of the plants tonight. We're just going to give you a couple of the main ones because in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a class, our part two to what we're going to do for... Uh, next week, which next week's class, we're going to be dealing with the ovate seer, what it is and, and why people are you know following that part of the tradition. But the two main things that are important for druids now other than oak trees is the vervain, which working with vervain is the, the bringer of secrets. Vervain, you can work you can work the magic of the light but you can work magic in the dark. And when vervain, magic in the dark is not magic that is uh, disproportionate or or evil or anything like that. It Vervain goes in places that other forms of herbal magic don't necessarily go. So vervain is number two. The most important plant within the animistic side of things is the uh, all-heel or the mistletoe. Mistletoe was the most important uh herb for the Druids in the fact that within its flout, within its within its leaves and its berries, it encompassed the uh ideals of fertility within all species, the uh, red berries being the blood and the white berries being semen. So you have that dichotomy of the fertility of the male and female. Uh, that the way that we can look at the gods, and look at ourselves in the way that you know that we reproduce, and things like that, and also the rarity of 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 uh, uh, the uh, mistletoe is the fact that mistletoe is not something that just grows and grows and grows and grows. Mistletoe is a parasite. Mistletoe finds trees, oaks, and other trees. Excuse me, and it. Takes over a branch, normally a branch that has been uh mangled in some way or another, there's something called an oak dragon. What an oak dragon is a tree limb that spirals up and gets these various nubs and notches on them. But also with an oak dragon, most oak dragon branches will have large hanging swaths of mistletoe with them. Okay, so if you're ever in a Oak dragons are very hard to find in the continental United States. Oak dragons you're gonna find mostly on those few oak trees that exist still in Ireland. And what happens, one thing that also that makes these things gnarl up like that, and then still have the mistletoe with it, is a lot of times they're struck by lightning. And so you take some of the, the parts of that branch, you make wands with them. They're very potent for making bell branches. And the other part is the idea that you're getting electrified mistletoe. You're getting powered up mistletoe for rituals, rites, tinctures, other things. So there's that right there. So you have just that little bit of the the plant life side of things. Now we're going to look at the topology of Ireland itself and the things that gives the animistic side of stuff. We look at rivers, streams, and wells as places of magic, of mystery, of the gods. So whenever they talk about the rushing river so many miles away where the goddess dances on and all this, all these different things, these different stories that they said, they give life to that stream. They talk about the well of St. Bridget. They talk about the well at such and such fort, the well of, of, of Tara and all these different places, those wells are springs that bubble forth with fresh water that are, you know, the places that, you know, sometimes whenever you're in a dire situation and you're out of water and you're traveling and you just are in despair, where do you go? You look for that place of solace. You look for the sacred well. When you find that water, it is so cool, fresh, cold, delicious, and life-giving, that those places were honored. Whenever things were needed, people would travel from their town, their village, their town, whatever, and they would go to these sacred wells, springs, lakes, and what have you, and they would make petitions to the gods and say, we need this, we need that. So that was very important there. Also, whenever we've talked about in the past where we get stuck with this, holy crap, almost 190 people I love you guys. Thank you for coming and hanging out tonight. One of the things that we've talked about in the past is the idea that uh, Druids are hooked up with this thing where we sacrifice, okay? You know, the human sacrifice thing. Well, it's not just sacrifice in that, you know, with the idea of seeing the movie The Wicker Man, all these different things. There's also the idea of sacrifice to the gods. An example of that is let's say you're a high king and you're People are about to be invaded by Rome, or or whatever. The Romans never did get to successfully invade Ireland, so we've got that out of the way. But let's say you're having something really big and dramatic that is about to happen, and you want to petition the gods to do something, you know. And we are so known for being selfish in our societal ways, from time immemorial, not just now, not just the way we are in modern society now, but even then. So what's one of the ways that you could appease the gods make a sacrifice. How do you make a sacrifice? There were several ways. One thing was that you could uh, go to a lake or a stream and you could take one of your prized possessions, A, a sword, B, an implement that you use to grow food or whatever, and you would make the petition and throw it into the lake and say, uh, uh, "Dagda Danu, uh, you know, the earth mother, this is my sacrifice to you, in in exchange for the things that we need. So that right there is the idea of what a sacrifice is. It's not the idea of that you're you know that you're you know killing someone to to do that. You're not killing someone. You're just doing that. And later on, those sacrifices came to things that um, we we became you know other fairy tales like. Remember the wishing well? Throwing something into the lake became the idea of taking a silver coin and dropping it into the wishing well and making a wish. Those things evolved over time. Um, The trees, trees themselves would be spaces and places where they were animistic enough where these trees, these groves, these giant Bahamas that were used in oaks and various different things all over Ireland, they were given their own power too. The animistic side, that's the power. The animism, where you give a, a, a being or an object its own power. That's what animism is. And that's how it influences our spiritual thought. So you could go to these trees and people would hang uh cloth or ribbons with things written on them that would be, you know, my daughter's sick. She needs to be healed. And over time, these trees would be called rag trees. Um And... Then you had practices of the Irish, not so much, but the Scots a little bit more. They had they were called knockers. And what you would do is you would take a rag, and you would find a place not so far from uh, your home, and you would wet that rag, and you would knock that rag on the stone. And when you're knocking the rag on the stone, you make your petition to the gods and say, I need this, my family, my whatever, I need this. And it was, and there would be like a rhythm or a rhyme to it. And a certain amount of times that you had to do it. And then at the end of that, that would be the magical component of it, that you would wait and see what the gods thought about that. So, uh pardon me, itching my nose, but we have massive allergy stuff going around this week. So, having said that, we go through all of this. So, we look at the things that we do as humans, and we can take from the natural world, we can take from everything else that isn't us, the animals, plants, trees, boulders, mountains, volcanoes, the whole nine yards. And that's where our spirituality comes from. Even because once we take that, that animism, then we moved into the agrarian side of things. And once we started to develop more, that's where we started to kind of give the the gods their place in the sun. And then as we moved away, and became more monotheistic, then that kind of took the ideas of the gods and things away for a lot of cultures that were pagan, that are pagan, such as you know the, the Irish Celts, the Scots, the Welsh, and whatever. So that kind of developed over time. But at our core, at the very heart of being pagan from, from that time till now, the earth is important. The animals are important, the trees, the everything. It, you can't divorce it. And you can't divorce that from what we think whenever we honor the gods and we honor the ancestors. They're all imposed together. So having said that, that is basically the gist of what we're talking about tonight for um, the, the class of Irish Celtic animism. And there's a lot more other animals. There's more insects and things, but we would have been here for days if I would have really went on a deep dive to find everything but those are the main ones that are important. And um, there are books that deal with Celtic animism. There are some great authors, and I'm going to put up some of their names. Uh, There is stuff by uh, Tom McCowan. There are uh, even uh, Ted Andrews, even though it's not specifically Celtic, there are a lot of things that are tied to it. One book that I highly recommend if you all don't have it already, is a book called Animal Speak. Unfortunately, Ted Andrews died here. I think Ted Andrews and Tom McCowan both are dead, but uh, they both have that book. They have Animal Speak from Ted Andrews, and then you have Fire in the Head, uh, which was from Tom Cowan. and they both talk about the animal side. Well, of course, Animal Speak, but also in Fire in the Head, you learn about where the animistic side kind of comes into how we deal with Druidic inspiration with our own minds. So it's all interconnected. It's all very, very important. Uh, Okay, so updates on all kinds of things before we shut this down. All right, well, we're finishing up this. This is Druid School class number 10, Irish Celtic Animism. Next week, we're gonna be doing lesson 11. We're gonna be talking about the Ovate Seers. And the Ovate Seers, we're gonna break this class down into two segments. We're going to, the first class is going to be what the Ovate Seer is in the, uh, the the druidic context, what they mean, you know, whenever you say bard, ovates, and druids. The Ovate Seers, we're going to talk about what that encompasses. We're going to look at the ties to the magic and, and the world, the way that an Ovate Seer works with it, because they look into the future for things uh, a lot more so than the bards and the druid proper does. And then the next class that we're going to have to do to do the part two is because it's so important it's so tied tied together is we're going to do a crash bomb course of the ovate seer side of druidic herbalism working with plants we're going to talk about more than just mistletoe and vervain there's a lot and we're going to talk about some of the history some of the lore behind those and how to use them um and before we finish this up another thing is everything that i've talked about even though we tend to be more ritualistic now about you know and proper and traditional about how we work things within a druid context as far as the animism of things animism is something that it's okay to bring into your ritual one of the ways that you can do that is one of the most important whenever you see the idea like the picture that was put out for this class it shows a shaman with a Uh, deer skin and the skull over his head in front of a fire one of those things that we do is where we take on the soul the life the heart and the blood of that animal It's called aspecting or for others it's called shape-shifting and that's this is one of the things I've done it and I don't do it as much as I should but there are many books And there are teachers that are out there that have a greater knowledge of the ideas behind aspecting and uh, uh, shape-shifting. But it's one of the most important things, I think, that anybody that follows a druidic or Celtic shamanistic path, because you get experience, because you see yourself not just being human, but you take on these traits of the animal. You... You you exude what that animal's essence is and that's very important because you can identify with the animal you can understand it more and you take that energy and whenever you're not aspecting that animal the traits of energy of that animal magnify your ritual energy they can you know they may not every single time but that gives you the ability to really up the level of your own personal Magical storehouse, the energy that's innate in your body, not just the energy that we take from the earth when we work ritual outside or in our homes or whatever, but we become batteries, bigger and better batteries for magical energy because we're taking the time to imbue that into us, into our soul, into our psyche and these various places so that whenever it comes time to aspect or shape shift and put these things out in various rituals, You're going from a one to a 10, just like that. And that's what we all want to do. I think you guys would would say that, you know, that's one of the things that you want to do is make your magical and ritual practices something that isn't mediocre and just eh. You know, anybody can do an okay ritual. They can speak it, they can mime it, they can say the words, they can do the ritual actions, but sometimes that's not enough. There are people out there that, that will do that for their entire practice. In their life and that's great you can't fault them for it because that's what they want to do God dang my allergies are messing with me but on the other side of that there are those of us that really want to get down to the nitty-gritty and see what it is that we can do magically and the reason why i do that is because i'm not selfish and what i want to do with that energy is take it and channel it in ways that are beneficial to myself and society such as doing these classes such as doing the rituals and things that I've done with the order of the standing Oak, uh, since like the year 2000, you know, and it's like Aaron can attest to this and other people that have worked with the order and stuff over the years. It's like, when you come together and you work ritual and you do these things, it's just, there's nothing else like it. So you want to be better at it. You want to give more of yourself and you want to be, more in tune with the people you're working with. So that's why we do these things. That's why we figure out what the animistic side is of our practices. And that's why we can do these things such as divinations and shape-shifting and what have you. So we've got those classes coming up. We've also got some um, more oak leaves, which I will post the new one. I think the new one, what we're going to talk about is ethics. We're going to talk about Are pagans ethical? What do you think about ethics in magic? Um, Ethics in how we uh, work with society. So we're going to talk about that because sometimes people are just like balls to the wall, do whatever you want. Consequences be damned. And, you know, so it's like does our does the way that we interact with the world that doesn't know what pagans are or doesn't care what pagans are. Do we have to be ethical? in what we do. Um, if we aren't ethical, is that a character flaw? Is that something against us? Where does that put us in the spectrum of, you know, how we relate to society? So our next uh, Oak Leaves Discussions number five, which will be this Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, we'll come back on the camera here and we'll have that discussion. And then our next class will be next Thursday. We'll put the dates up for that and that's going to be the first class on uh, the OV, Ovate Sears. Then we got some some stuff coming up. On Sunday, June 21st at 3 p.m. here on Facebook, we're going to celebrate Meen Sarab, Samrab, which is the Irish uh, midsummer, summer solstice. And because it's going to be, I have a feeling it's gonna be pretty hot, we're not gonna do a full regalia ritual because Whenever I get fully druided up, my robes and everything that I wear get so hot that I almost want to pass out. Because even in this apartment, which is not the greatest, the, uh, the uh, air conditioning doesn't work good enough, so you almost want to pass out. So what we're going to do, instead of doing a full ritual, is we're going to do poetry readings. We're going to do meditations on the longest day, the magic that comes from eternal sunlight, excuse me that's in my eye so we're gonna just go over that and just be druids for that day and we're gonna go from three o'clock until we get done and it's free nobody somebody asked me they were from Finland earlier today they go do I have to do I have to you know pay for this and all that no anything that I do here on Facebook it's just us hanging out it's people that might not have anything else to do turning on their computer and sitting here and listen to me talk for however long, which I very much appreciate you guys. I love you all and I appreciate you hanging out with me because, oh man, my nose, it just shows that there are people out there that are interested in learning a little bit. that just want to see what, you know, one person's take is on Druidry because ah, excuse me, there's millions of different ways to practice pagan traditions. Everybody on here that's watching me practices their tradition in their way. But what I do, like I've said before is, What I teach and what I put out to people are ways that it's just a little something that you can do. It's like you can take and use and pick what you want, but it's like also it's my duty to at least put you off in the direction of things that you might be interested in, you know. So that's very important. Holy crap, we're almost at 210 people. I love you guys. Thank you for that. And also what I'm going to do is when we get done here in a little bit. I'm going to take this video, I'm going to process it, and I'm going to put it on YouTube. And I do have a YouTube channel that I would love for you guys to check out. We have all of our classes. I have druidic content from as far back, I think, as 2010 there, plus music videos and all this stuff. The the page is A Pagan Perspective on YouTube. All one word, just capital letters, all one word. And the moniker is a goddess with the earth for a belly so that's my moniker right there on YouTube and what I'll do is I'll put that up here so that people that didn't get a chance to come in at the beginning can watch it so we're gonna put this on here I do that with all the videos put them up there so that everybody has a chance also this is a basic thing the classes and stuff that we're going through now and we're talking with you guys here now are just the bare bones stuff but we are doing something now that is a little more in depth, and what that is is I'm taking uh, an audio-video uh, platform, putting it together, and what we're doing something is called the Lore Keeper course. The Lord Keeper course was um, brought together by a leader of the pagan community and the Celtic Reconstruction community from years ago. A man by the name of Alexi Konzriadep, and he was a uh, founder and, and co-helper to get started a uh celtic reconstructionist group called Imas, IMBAS pronounced IMBAS and um he has something that is uh, i think one of the greatest things as far as taking you into a greater understanding of celtic uh irish celtic and other celtic formulas for what not not just not what druidry is but also celtic uh reconstructionism and it's called the Lorekeeper's keeper's course 1.0 and what the Lord Keeper course does is it takes you into almost a college-level course of, of study in Celtic studies and what it is is three tracks the tracks are history which is the first track the second track is language and the third track is reconstruction and basically that third track is taking the history and the language from uh, Ireland and Scotland and various other Celtic uh, parts of the world and taking that reconstruction track and using it to influence how you work with the gods and work with your own path and it is narrated by me and we go through each one of the tracks gets its own separate video and then once we get to a certain point i make up a pdf that has uh multiple choice and essay questions And you can take that as a gauge of what you're learning from it and to get your ideas and thoughts and feelings on what you're getting out of learning for yourself Celtic Studies and we've got the introduction and the first track and the first track is history part one who were the Celts that came out this week and it's just a few minutes and the course is free don't you don't have to be charged or anything but What I do ask is if you're interested, I am here on Facebook, and all I ask is if you are interested, get a hold of me, message me somehow or another. You know my name's up there. Um, Message me and give me a uh, workable uh, uh, email address that I can put you on the list, and whenever I uh, put up the next video, uh, you guys get it and you get it before anybody else does and you'll get to see it and then also when the class itself the the pdfs with the actual uh, classwork comes up you can get that it's free and it's just like i've had i think i checked yesterday or the day before i think we have close to 35 on the list now but so this is for anybody not just the united states anybody it's free it's not my course. I did not develop it. I hold no copyright. I'm just putting it out there for people to go through. So the Lorekeeper course, I highly you know, recommend that. And also, if you're checking this out tonight, holy crap, almost 220 people. You guys are awesome. But also, if you are on Facebook a lot and you are a part of the community, one thing I recommend if you've never done it, come check us out on our group page, Missouri Druid School. Just make a request. And we'll get you in there. And We've been growing. We've got a lot of people. We've got people from other orders that are coming in and checking things out and participating and stuff. And I'm just learning a lot from them, talking to them. I'm very big on communicating with you guys. So if you have any questions, feel free to send me a message. And if you have a question about anything that we've talked about, I'll do my best to answer it. Also, um, if you just have questions about life in general, you just need somebody to talk to, I'm great for that as well. So, I'm going to take a drink. And if you guys liked the class tonight, if you heard everything okay, and it just, you know, kind of just gave you a little bit more uh, information than you had just a minute ago, give me a thumbs up and let me know what you thought about it. We're going to take another drink of this wonderful Pepsi and bourbon. Oh, God, that's so good. And we're going to slow things down and things out that the way we always do with classes and our discussions and stuff. Get yourself situated. Get nice and comfortable. Sit back, close your eyes, and we're going to take three deep breaths, and then we're going to chant the awen. Away, ah. Uh, uh, May the blessings of body, mind, and spirit be yours. I thank you guys for hanging out with me on Thursday night. Here we've been getting rain and flooded out and all this other stuff. So it's good to just be able to take a couple hours, hang out with you guys, and and, and impart a little bit of knowledge. And hopefully, you know, brighten up your evening a little bit. Who knows? With the situation that we've got going on in the world, it's always good to have something where you can just sit back and learn a little bit and have a great evening. For all the people, all the 200 plus of you that are here checking me out tonight, I really appreciate you. I'm going to process this. I'm going to put it on YouTube so you can watch it back for those of you that got in towards the end. And we've got classes coming next week. And then we've got Midsummer coming up on Sunday, June 21st at 3 p.m. here on Facebook. So I encourage you to come for that because we're going to have a great day there also. So having said that, I'm going to shut this down and process the video from the altar to the ring. I bless you in the name of the old gods, and have a great week, you guys.